I want you to think back to that first taste of freedom you had as a child. Maybe you think back and you remember uh, the first time your parents left you home without a babysitter. Uh, maybe it was for a half an hour or an hour, but you, just, you, you were like king of the house. You, know, you had run of the whole place. You could make whatever you wanted to eat. You could watch whatever you wanted on TV. You remember that time? Or, or maybe for you, it was when the first time your parents dropped you off at the movie theater with just your friends. Or they dropped you off at the mall to go shopping. They weren't there with you. You could kind of do what you want, say what you want. Remember that feeling of freedom? Now I want you to switch gears a little bit and think about the first time that you ever abused that freedom. The first time that you kind of turned the corner and you did something you knew you weren't supposed to do, but because you had freedom, you felt like you were able to do it. And maybe you got caught and that made it worse, you know, but maybe you didn't. But whatever it is, you, you knew that you had done something wrong. You knew that you had defied your parents. Well, that's the feeling I want to talk about today. Maybe you felt a little regret. Maybe you felt a little guilt. I don't know how you dealt with it. But we're going to talk about that feeling today as we're in uh, week two of our series called Finding Your Way Back to God. Uh, open your Bibles, if you have them, to Luke chapter 15. Uh, Luke 15 is where we're going to spend our whole time today. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one that looks like this around you somewhere on the floor, probably. It's page 730 in this Bible. Our series, Finding Your Way Back to God, is loosely based on this book called Finding Your Way Back to God by Dave and John Ferguson. Uh, ironic, I know that we did that. Uh, Dave and John are two pastors in the Chicago area. Um, They've been very uh, great friends to Genesis Church, and they wrote this book. It's loosely based on that, but this is great study material for you if you want a little more uh, information. At Genesis Church, this series fits really well because our, our mission is helping people find their way back to God. And last week, we unpacked a little bit what that means. We talked about helping people find their way back to God. And if you missed it, you should listen to the podcast, which you can do on iTunes or you can do on the Genesis Church app. Did I mention we have an app? If I haven't said that yet, we have an app, and you can listen to the podcast on there. Listen to last week. Uh, Make sure you search Genesis Church Indiana, because there's a few Genesis churches on there. Uh, But we said that finding your way back to God doesn't mean just finding your way back to church. We said that it's not about getting your life straightened out. That helping people find their way back to God means this, and you can write this down if you're taking notes. It means helping people experience the love relationship with God they were created for. In other words, at Genesis Church, we believe every person was created with a purpose, and that purpose is to be in a love relationship with the God that created them. And so that's what we're talking about for these five weeks. And so we're talking about the story that Jesus told to some of his followers about a son who decides that living at home has gotten just a little bit suffocating. It's gotten to be a little much living under the rule of his parents and decides to take matters into his own hand. And so here to help me tell that story is my friend Dewan Neely. Will you help me welcome Dewan to the stage? Dewan offered, uh, no, he agreed after I asked uh, to be a part of this. And uh, Dewan, I want you to just start by telling me a little bit about how you found your way back to God here at Genesis. Sure. Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> I first started uh, attending Genesis here in the fall of 2013. Uh, before then, I had really not been going to church except for your occasional um, Christmas Eve and Easter services. Um, I was pretty much doing anything I wanted without regards to uh, any boundaries or consequence. Um, I knew who God was, and I believed in him, because that's what I was taught when I was younger, but I was far from him. Um, After Amy and I had always kind of talked about trying to find a church, but we never really acted upon it or took it seriously. And uh, after finding several reasons not to attend... 
uh, we finally gave in uh, to some really awesome neighbors who convinced us to uh, come to Genesis here. And it really only took about three or four services before I realized uh, that this was the place for me and I was comfortable here. Um, for some reason, my life had been the kind of life where things kind of always seemed to, to go my way. Um, and the more I started attending Genesis, the more I began to reflect on that. I began thinking, um, you know, how is it that uh, things were always to go my way and, and how is it that I was so lucky? Um, after reflecting more on that, I started to think, well, maybe it's because I'm not lucky, but instead maybe I'm blessed. And I, I first sought out attending Genesis here to, you know, find some structure and some boundaries for my life. And w what I ended up also finding was a strong urge to give thanks and praise to God for allowing me to live the life that he's let me live. That constant urge is what led me to be baptized uh, last November 9th, just last year. Um, I felt that I not only needed to praise him in private, but I felt I needed to praise him publicly as well. I told Steve my reasons for wanting to be baptized, and then I also told him I was a little hesitant. Um, first, I was very afraid to take this leap in front of everyone, <laughs> and uh, I was also had a fear that I'd, I'd not be able to live up to the commitment that I was going to make. Uh, Steve told me two things to make my decision easier on that. He first told me that somewhere there's someone with the same situation or in the same circumstances that has the same worries and concerns as you. They need to hear your story. Uh, let your story help them. Um, for my second fear, Steve told me, baptism is simply the next step. It's not the final step in yours or in anyone's journey. When we're baptized, we're not saying we're perfect or that we promise not to mess up again. We're simply saying, I belong in Christ, and I want to declare that. Those words from Steve really helped me. And thinking back now, I believe that urge I found to give thanks and to be baptized was that longing for a relationship with God that Steve talked about last service last week. <laughs> well, thanks, Duane. And um, first of all, thanks for reminding me of what I told you, but you took some of my message for today. And so, um, you know, think about that next time before you come up here, okay? <laughs> Second, I want you to know that I didn't ask Dewan to praise me when he came up. That just naturally flowed off his lips. So, <laughs> but thanks, thanks for telling your story, man. Um, would you like to read our scripture for today? Luke 15, 11 to 24. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to the fields, to his fields, to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. 
When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. All right. Thanks, Juan. Thanks a lot, man. Hey. <clears throat> two, two things about Dewan I just want you guys to know. Um, first of all, uh, if you, his, his, what, what I told him about baptism is what I'd tell any one of you. If you thinking about being baptized, but you've got fears or thoughts or concerns, there's somebody in this room that needs to hear your story, and they're going to be moved by it. And so if you're thinking about signing up, but I just don't know, I just don't know if I'm ready, um, let's talk afterwards. Second thing is, um, what a great testimony to uh, neighbors. Uh, his neighbors uh, were relentless about inviting him to church. And so if you've been, if you wrote some neighbors' names on that Love Where You Are poster earlier this summer, or if you've got neighbors you've been praying for, don't stop. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. The Lord can do amazing things. Uh, Duan, awesome job. Great guy, man. Uh, so this young man in the story, this younger son, decides to go through a bit of a rebellion. That's what we talked about last week uh, as we study this story over these five weeks. That's what we're going to do over these five weeks. We're going to study this story, the story that we sometimes know as the prodigal son or the lost son. And over these five weeks, we're going to talk about five awakenings, five realizations. Okay, we're calling them awakenings that the younger son has. And that first one was the one we talked about last week where he realizes uh, there must be something more. It's that awakening to longing. And that's why he decides to rebel. It's why he decides to leave the safety of home and go look for satisfaction somewhere else. That awakening to longing is all about the universal longings we have for, for love and for meaning and for purpose. It's that restless feeling that, you know what, there's got to be something more to life. It's that, that life can't just be about, I go to work, I come home, I eat dinner, I watch Netflix, I go to bed, and then I do it all over again tomorrow. That there's got to be something more. And we said last week that those feelings are good. It's good that you have those feelings because God put those feelings in you. And the problem comes when we try to fulfill them outside of God. And so God gives us these longings for a richer life and a fuller life and more to life. And then when we try to go outside of his plan to fulfill them, well, that's where we run into trouble. That's where we're rebelling. And that's where the younger son finds himself. Now, in many of our stories, many of the stories in this room, there is a chapter of rebellion. And maybe you don't call it rebellion. Maybe you call it freshman year. Uh, maybe you call it MTV spring break. <laughs> maybe you call it uh, midlife crisis. Uh, maybe you call it, I went and bought a Harley and forgot to tell my wife. Oops, you know, I don't know what you call it. But for many of us, there's this period of rebellion. We took this longing when we awakened to this longing and we went to go try to chase some stuff to help satisfy that. 
Whatever it is, we, we think that this stuff that we're chasing will satisfy us. And so we make decisions that we never imagined that we'd have to make. We uh, inevitably, that thing that we were chasing after, well, it falls short. We find ourselves saying something like, I just wish I could start over. I grew up in church, I don't know, probably until I was 14. Like a, kind of like Christmas plays, you know, stuff like that. That's about the extent of it. I guess you could say I didn't hang out with the right crowd. I don't know. I started drinking a little bit, partying and stuff like that. Jeez, I'm not sure what I was looking for, to be honest with you. Just a good time, party was what I was basically after, I guess. When I was 35, I got in a little bit of trouble with the law, which kind of changed things to the point for a short period of time. I went through a divorce. Um, was still kind of partying a little bit. We met in a bar, both going through ugly divorces. And I think at first it was just kind of a companionship thing, just somebody to hang out with. Kind of had the same beliefs, but wasn't really ready to accept it. We weren't ready to accept God. We, we weren't ready to give up this life for that life yet. Then um, at the age of 40, had my son. knew it was time for me to change because I had somebody beside myself that I had to look after now. After we had Neil, um, Larry stayed sober for a little while. And then he started drinking again and making some bad choices and some bad stuff happened. I think I pretty much made a, a decision that my lowest point was when I was actually sitting in jail, you know, realizing this isn't me, you know, this, this is, I can't, I can't do this any longer. And then Kim bringing Neil to the jail and him looking at me through a video screen made me, made me realize that I can't, I can't do this. You know what I'm saying? I can't, I can't do this. Well, that's not the end of Larry's story. You'll hear the end of it later. But you can hear in his voice the same thing that we see in the lost son when he's had enough. It's that second awakening that we're going to talk about today. We call it awakening to regret. You know, you've probably been there. It's a place in life where you wish you could just start over. You ever, as a kid, we called it a do-over. You know, when you, you're playing kickball and the ball just goes off the side of your foot and it trickles about three feet in front of home plate and you just call do-over. And if you do it like within three seconds right? You get to just do it automatically. There's no penalty. There's no harm. You know, that's kind of the rules of playground kickball. In, in golf, if you're playing with a friend, uh, you might call it a mulligan. If you're playing with friends and you hit the ball off the toe of your club and it goes way over into the next fairway, a good friend will say, would you like to take a mulligan? You know, would you like to try again with no penalty, no extra strokes? Why, why don't we have a word for that in real life? You know, why is it that in kickball and in golf and in sports, we have a word for it. But in real life, we don't. But it's that time, that moment you get and you think, oh, I just wish I could start over. I bet a lot of you have been there. I bet some of you are there right now. 
When Jesus tells this story, we see the lost son reach this point of regret. He awakens to regret. He reaches this point of wanting a new start through two different statements. And this is the part of the story we're going to focus on today. It's verse 17 and 18 in Luke chapter 15. So it says this, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And so I want to take from these two verses, I want to look at two phrases that we're going to focus on this week. The first one is this, when he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, the the literal translation of this passage, and if you uh, grew up reading the King James Bible, you probably know this, is when he came to himself, there's this idea that, that this young son had walked away and he had forgotten who he was. And that after some time when he was away in this distant country, he remembered who he was. He came to himself. He came to his senses. When he remembered where his identity was. When he remembered where he was from. When he remembered who his father was. Remember, he's standing there. He's feeding the pigs. And he says, my father's servants are eating better than I am. And then he thought, oh yeah, my father. That's who I am. He comes to his senses. He comes to himself. My identity is not here. It's back home with my father. Now, this is so important for some of us because you're doing something right now that's not who you are. You you heard Larry talking about sitting in a jail cell thinking, this isn't me. This is not who I am. And some of you find yourself in that very situation. Somebody here in our church is having an affair, but you're not an adulterer. That's not who you are. You're caught up in pornography, but you're not a pornographer. But it's what you're doing right now. You're, you're, you're binge eating right now. But you're not a glutton. That's not who you are. Your identity is back with your father. And he wants you back. This is the beginning of that second awakening. You know, that first awakening, awakening to longing, was that feeling that there had to be something more. It's what sent this younger son out into a distant country looking for satisfaction in somewhere. It's what caused him to waste his entire inheritance on wild living. And then when he came to his senses, when he came to himself, that's the beginning of that second awakening, awakening to regret. This is a turning point in the story, right? We We don't know how long the son was gone. We don't know exactly what he did. We get the feeling that it might have been a long time because Jesus says when he finally came to his senses. So he was probably gone for a while, but whatever it was, he came to his senses. He realized that something had to change. It looks like from this story that he had hit rock bottom. And when you hit rock bottom, there's no place to go but up, right? But that doesn't mean we have to hit rock bottom before we decide to make that change in our life, before we come to our senses. And so for you, maybe you're going the wrong way now. You know that there's something in your life. People have told you. Your parents have told you. They've warned you. Friends have sat you down and warned you about that relationship, that habit, that lifestyle. If nobody's around you to warn you, I'm going to warn you right now. You're going the wrong way. I know what you think. You you think, uh, they just don't get it. They don't understand. They, they don't know me. They don't know what makes me happy. They, they don't get why I'm doing this. But they're right. And you know they're right. So maybe you're in denial about it, but you know, you know something in your life needs to change. You know you're going the, right way, the wrong way. You know the thing you're chasing isn't making you happy. It's not bringing you joy. It's not adding anything to your life. And man, if you took a moment to look around, you'd realize that 
You're just feeding pods to the pigs. You need to come to your senses. You need to come to yourself. You need to remember who you are. That's the first step toward a new life. I love author Richard Rohr says it this way. He says, you cannot heal what you don't acknowledge. And what you don't consciously acknowledge will remain in control of you from within, festering and destroying you and those around you. You know, a lot of us know that all too well. We know that feeling. And for many others, maybe it's a wake-up call, though. You know, whether you have a relationship with God or not, whether you're a Christian or not, some of us need to come to our senses and acknowledge that our lives are headed in the wrong direction. The, The rebellion is over. It's time to come home. That's the second place we'll focus on because the son didn't just come to his senses. He had a decision to make. And he made this decision to come home to his father. And verse 18 says it this way, I will set out and go back to my father. You know, the second part is just as important as the first because many of us, we come to our senses, we realize what we're doing is wrong. We're headed in the wrong direction. We strayed too far. We've been gone too long. But, but then we don't know what to do about it. We, we want change, sure. We'd love to have a do-over, but we don't really think that's possible. We, we have shame over what we've done. We have you know, guilt over how long we've been away. And so the questions echo through our head. Like, will he even take me back? Will, will they even acknowledge that I've been gone, that I messed up? Will, will they just guilt trip me like they always used to do before? Could God ever forgive somebody like me for what I've done? I want you to hear this. It's natural to have sorrow over your poor choices. That that's something that God put inside us too, that when we make a poor decision, you ever wonder why you feel like what you did was wrong was wrong? Because God put that inside of you. But there's a difference, the Bible tells us, between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow, how we deal with that sorrow. So 2 Corinthians 7.10, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church, says this. He says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. And so this is so important for us to understand how to deal with sorrow and regret. Paul is, is telling us there's a godly way and a worldly way, and that the godly way leads to repentance, which causes us to ask, well, what does repentance mean? And so first of all, um, I, I want to take a minute and just give you a couple lessons in ancient languages. Uh, these will be really good. I've been studying this for almost four days, so I'm sure you guys will get a lot out of this. But, but I want to show you this. I think this is really good. That much of the New Testament, the second part of your Bible, the part with Jesus in it, much of the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And the Greek word that we often translate as repentance is this word. It's the word metanoia. Metanoia, the literal meaning, the plain meaning is to change one's mind. So there's this idea that changing your mind is part of repentance. Now, the Old Testament, you know, the first part of your Bible was written in a much older language, a language called Hebrew. Uh, much of it. And there's a Hebrew word that's often used that's translated as repentance in the Old Testament, and that's this word, the word teshuvah. Now, teshuvah, the plain meaning of teshuvah is to return or to go back. And so there's two meanings of repentance, and they're both captured in this story. To the son's credit, Jesus tells us that when he finally came to his senses, metanoia, Again, again, we don't know how long that was, but Jesus says, finally, we think it's a long time. When he finally came to his senses, he decided to return, to go back 
Teshuvah to his father. At Genesis, we call that finding your way back to God. I want you to see how important this is because uh, if you're going to understand repentance, you need to know that repentance has two parts. We change our mind and then we change our direction. What, what so many of us do, I think, is the first part. We, we, we run away. Okay, we, we follow that longing. We go away. We, we fall down. We make a mistake. We feel guilty about it. We feel sorrow for it, you know, for it, either to ourselves or out loud. And we say, I will never do that again. But we don't really change anything in our lives. And so we feel that guilt and that guilt keeps us from doing whatever it is for a while, right? And guilt will do that for you. But then eventually you fall back into those old patterns, those old habits, and then you go back and you do it again. And then you're, you, you feel so guilty about it again. And you say, I will never do that again. And this time, what? This time, I mean it. But we don't really mean it because if we really meant it, we would change something in our lives. We'd not just change our mind. We'd change our direction. When we, don't, when we change our mind, but we don't change our direction, we get stuck in this cycle of sin and guilt and sin and guilt. And it goes over and over again. I want you to hear me when I say that all of that can change today. You have a father who loves you. You, you heard Dewan up here. He told you how the story ends. When the son goes home, he finds a father waiting to welcome him home. You don't have to worry about not being accepted or not welcome home. Your heavenly father is waiting for you to return. He's begging for you to return. He's pacing the driveway, looking over the hill, saying, I wonder if this is the day that my lost child's going to come home. If you were the parent, wouldn't you be doing that? How much more? Is our perfect Father in heaven waiting for you to come back home? You know, for many people, the defining moment that, that turning around to come home looks like baptism. It's that moment when you publicly proclaim, hey, I'm going home. Over the past few years, we've seen hundreds of people baptized here at Genesis Church. And in three weeks, like we already talked about, we're going to give you the opportunity to join them. And as Dewan already said so eloquently, baptism doesn't mean you're perfect. It's not the last step on your journey. It's just the next step on your journey. It doesn't mean you're never going to stumble, but it means I'm going home, and that's where I want to stay. You know, last week we challenged everyone here to do three different things. We said, would you come to this, ser- this series every week? There are five weeks in this series. Would you come to church every week? And if you were here last week and you're here this week, congratulations. You've got a great start on that. Number two, we've got a study guide that we've written. It's kind of an individual devotional. Uh, It can be done in a group, but it's really meant to be uh, done individually. It's on the app. It's in the weekend section. There's a section called study guides. uh, Or if you would rather have one on paper, we've got some at the info hub on your way out. Take that study guide. Read through the scripture it gives you. And just take take some time and answer those questions. Uh, Really take some time with your Heavenly Father this week and and hear what he's wanting to teach you about that. But most of all, the third thing is we ask you every day to pray this prayer. And our our prayer is going to change every week. But would you commit this week, especially if you haven't found your way back to God yet, to praying this prayer? God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. Awaken in me the possibility that with you, I could start over again. He gives us that chance, you know. Once we awaken to regret, if we start to change our minds and we change our direction, God will use his amazing grace to take every part of our past and redeem it and make it part of our story.
we had to just stop and think about what we were doing. I had to stop and think about what, what I was doing. I wasn't where I wanted to be in my life, and I knew, I knew in Larry's heart that he really wasn't where he wanted to be at, but we were missing something. And it took um, some hard stuff to come into our lives to make us see God. I remember um, sitting in my bedroom one night and I was praying for God just to come into our lives, to come into Larry's heart to um, change us, change both of us. And um, I didn't realize until later that it needed to be Larry to want to change his heart. It took a while. God did it in his time, for sure. I mean, I'd, I'd been going to Genesis. I've been going to Genesis now for probably almost 13 years. But I don't think God actually became a part of my life until probably almost six, seven years ago. I'd feel it come across me in different ways, on different sermons or different different songs or just, you know, at different times where you have that moment where you feel like he's with you or, you know what I'm saying? It's like comes down on you and you shed a tear or you just know something's, you know, somebody else is there and it's not just you. I remember a moment when I looked at Larry and in that moment I felt like, the Holy Spirit was standing there wrapped around Larry with just this love and I felt more in love with Larry at that moment because I could see his love and I see God right there with Larry as long as you confess your sins to God he always has forgiveness for you so I, I knew that you know and I knew that everything that I did do obviously isn't right if I plead for forgiveness and confess my sins to him, then I'm obviously forgiven. I went cold turkey, I got involved in AA, got involved, got a sponsor, changed my lifestyle, changed my friends, changed my whole way in order to put myself on the right track. I love the way Larry loves on Neil. Larry prays with Neil every morning. He puts him on the driveway before they get on the bus, Larry stops and prays with Neil. He's really easy about stuff. It's not always like mean when I get in trouble. He's usually nice about it and he tries not to make it a big deal. When I see Neil get baptized, my heart melted. My son has so much love for God. Uh, baptizing my son was a very special day just for the fact that I knew that I was bringing him up the right way, the way the Lord wants me to bring him up, and I hope that he follows true to the path. Um, I thought that it was an amazing experience to um, being baptized by one of my parents. That was like a big thing for my um, life because I wanted to commit my life to Jesus. Everybody can change with the help of God and with the help of other people. It's just a matter of, you know, it's a matter if you want to or not.